and welcome back to Two Bye Guys. I'm Rob. I'm here today with a special guest who is in the LGBT plus charity space where bisexual people are often left behind and we're going to talk about that today and how that plays out and what we can do about it. Um, my guest today is Dominic Arnall. He is the CEO of Just Like Us, the LGBT plus young people's charity based in the UK. He is coming to us from across the pond as some of our favorite guests do. He was previously the chair at Mind Out, a charity for LGBTQ mental health services, and also previously the head of projects and programs at Stonewall, a UK charity fighting for freedom and equality for the LGBTQ plus community. And he is pretty sure, quote, that he's the only bisexual man running an LGBT plus charity in the UK. At least that is what we messaged about. So we'll, I, I believe you. We'll talk about that. Uh, welcome to Two Bi Guys, Dominic. Oh, thank you very much. Certainly only out bisexual guy, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, that's important. That is very important because as we know from bi and visibility and erasure, if we're not out, you then, know, we often, right. then you don't know and you often can't implement the things that Absolutely. might benefit the community. Uh, so I want to ask you all about that. I have many questions about that. But uh, before we get into it, as we always do, I want to hear about you and your story and your bi journey. So first of all, what pronouns do you use and how do you identify sexuality or any any other spectrums you want to identify on? So um, I use he and him, and I uh, identify as a cis man, um, as a bi-cis man. Uh, yeah, that's me. Cool. Cool. So, you know, sometimes that, that question is like half the, half the episode, and then sometimes it's, it's quite straightforward. <laughs> so uh, in terms of the bisexual identity, like when did you first start to notice that in your life? And tell us about that journey oh. and when, when you came out and... Well, I really like the framing of that question, I must say. When did you first start to notice that in your life? Because I think that very often I'm asked, when did you know you were bisexual? Which is such a complicated question because, mm -hmm. well, what do you mean when did I know the word bisexual? Or when did I use the word bisexual? Or when did I start having feelings? Or, But I think to use, to use your question, when did I notice, um, it would have been at school, at school. I think primary school, I, I certainly had attractions to all sorts of people and they weren't, you know, necessarily kind of sexual attractions, but they were, they were attractions and they were people that I wanted to be with and spend time with. And I remember definitely at, um, being very young and seeing, you know, seeing a, a, there was a boy that was, that I just sort of always wanted to play with and be near, even though I didn't really know him very well. And I think that that, that sort of process has sort of carried on throughout my life, really. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's just been a sense of knowing that my attraction is not, is not limited to, to one gender and sort of never has been. Um, I think in terms of my bisexual journey, it's been, <laughs> I was going to say it's been a bit unusual. Talking to bi people, it's often not that unusual, actually. <laughs> but it feels yeah. unusual when you're talking outside bi conversations. So I came out about 15 uh, to my parents um uh, it didn't go very well and uh, resultingly i didn't tell anyone else for three or four years probably so until mm. i was 18 19 and then i was sort of out to all my friends and you know life took a few turns i took a job i was doing something else i'd met someone and suddenly i realized i, I sort of wasn't out anymore <laughs> so 
the new circle of friends I had were people that I knew through my partner. And, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not that bisexual after all. Maybe, you know, maybe this is my life now. Maybe this is who I am. Um, and life kind of carried on like that for quite a, quite a while. And then when I was uh, 35, I started working for an LGBT charity uh, and I still wasn't out. Um, and I was very scared of coming out at an LGBT charity, possibly more scared than I would have been at a non-LGBT charity, actually, um, mm-hmm. particularly as when I came out um, at Stonewall, there weren't any bi men there, to my knowledge, mm. or there weren't any bi men out there, I should say. Um, mm. It turned out there were bi men there. Um, so, <laughs> so there, the there always there always are, even Absolutely. if you don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I then sort of I then kind of came out at work, and then I realised, oh my goodness, I've I've now got to tell my partner. And uh, I don't want to go over too many of your questions here, but this is kind of my story, <laughs> I guess. So I, ca- I came out of work. I, I sort of started being progressively more and more out because none of my friends re- really knew. And what mm-hmm. was strange is my friends from way back home all knew. And I didn't really realize that I had been sort of leading this slightly strange life, existing in different ways, in different spheres. And it almost happened without me recognizing it. Or I, I, I had just got so good at it that, that it, it, it didn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of decided that I was going to be out in all spheres. I was going to, I was going to be an out by man now. <laughs> um, and so I wrote a, an article for The Independent, uh, which is a newspaper we have in the UK. Uh, I was working for Stonewall so I could do stuff like that. <laughs> and I wrote it on um, a celebrity that had been sort of a, a gay man celebrity that had been really biphobic. And I wrote an article on why that was painful and why we need to be better on this as a community. Mm. And it was really funny because the first thing that was happening in my mind was that I wasn't really worried about my friends because I had now told my various groups of friends, I'd now told my partner, um, I was really worried about posting it on Facebook and having kids at school. I didn't really know that well suddenly find out I was bisexual and I was mm-hmm. worried that they would think oh, we always knew that and 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 that was painful to me for some reason and I, I'm still not entirely sure why but that's what I was trying to avoid all those years I think yeah that said I've, I've now been out for uh, six or seven years to absolutely everybody <laughs> um, flags pins whatever I can get away with and it's been great you know um, and, and that's not to say that everyone's coming out story is great because I think we've got to be really careful around those narratives um, but for me certainly uh, it's become something that in contrast to me hiding it has become incredibly important to me that's awesome um i have a few follow-up questions but also <laughs> we have a lot in common i'm also out for about six or seven years so like something was in the air around <laughs> uh 2015 yeah. 2015 2016 um yeah. Well, I just don't think there were that many bi people, you know. And the, sorry, again, out. Um, yeah. And I think that, that in all spheres, there weren't that many bi people out. So there, there just wasn't the kind of scope for it a lot of the time. I mean, I, the, the reason I, I came out at work was that someone said to me, have you ever been with a man? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, how can, how can you call yourself straight then? And I was like, but... You know, and and I was in this awkward centrist space that we're familiar with, thinking, well, what, yeah. you know, what do I call myself? And he was saying, well, I I I choose the word bisexual for that, you know, rather yeah. pres- presumptuously, but also for me, 
true because that bisexual has always been the thing that has felt true in all spaces whereas mm-hmm. all the other words you know you can't you can't really call yourself gay if you're married to a woman you certainly can't call yourself straight if you've if you've been with men before so everything felt like it was kind of uneven and 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 not quite a good fit and that's why i use the word that's why i use the word to this day cool that's awesome so many straight men do continue to use that word even when they're having sex with men but right that's a a topic for another time and i think it's a good i think it's a really important topic because Certainly in the UK, we, there's been lots and lots of research that shows that particularly in this sort of young cohort, about 50%, it's a crazy high statistic of young people would consider themselves not totally straight and not totally gay. Yeah. Massive amount. And about 2% call themselves bisexual. Yeah. So we have a slight branding issue here. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that is, is fascinating, you know. Um, because most straight men that will say, or sorry, most gay men that will say they don't believe in bisexuality will have a great story about a straight guy they took home, right? Uh, <laughs> so yep. I, I, I think that, 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 and it's true of my journey as well, I certainly didn't use that word for a long time. Um, and I think that's really interesting. It is. It's fascinating. It's something I'm always interested to talk about. But uh, I also want to go back for a second and like, I think it's interesting you said your story may be different than other bi people's but actually not so much because I've heard so many times this idea of existing in different spaces in different ways and even when you come out that doesn't mean you're out to everyone it's a constant decision when you're with in new spaces and with new groups of people and I also like something no one's ever mentioned that I very much identified with when you said it was like when I started coming out, like, okay, the first few, it was kind of hard to do. I worked myself up to it. Then I went through a phase where I was like excited to tell people, especially yeah. straight, straight people. Cause I was like, <laughs> guys, I figured something out that you, that you guys don't know yet. And I was excited to kind of tell them after I broke the ice. But then I thought about like my old friends from high school or college, especially the ones who were queer themselves or gay themselves. Right. And I had this like anxiety about coming out to them because I thought, oh, they're going to say we already knew that. And like yeah. they're going to be ahead of me. And like right. they might have realized something about me that I should have realized before or could have. I mean, I certainly could have if I had the language and the knowledge and so that that i you know you said you weren't quite sure why you had the anxiety and i'm not quite <laughs> sure either but it, this is helping me realize like it might have been just uh, some shame about not knowing it for myself yeah. till till my 30s maybe you're right i think there were there, there was two kinds there was the shame at not knowing it and then there was the fact that this this had been used to bully me at school right not not being mm. by specifically but but being being queer have been used to bully me at school so the idea that under those circumstances it wouldn't have occurred to me just just felt really silly Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but but there you go yeah and when you were 15 and you said you came out to your your parents did you use the word bi then did you use the word i used i I used bi or bisexual i can't remember but i I did use the word and i used the word because um we (laughs) there's do you know the band placebo no. So I don't know if they're, they're, they're quite big in the UK, but the, the, the singer is this by man called Brian Molko and he has like this awesome hair and he was amazing. And, um, 
I saw him uh, singing and I read him as gay and someone said, no, 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 he's bisexual. And I thought, that's what I am too. Mm. So I told people, I was like, oh, I'm like Brian Molko, right? <laughs> that, that, that was my kind of, my fit in. And I remember my, I remember my, my dad sort of saying, um, look, everybody goes through things. Everybody has things happen to them. Um, but you've got to decide what you want your life to be like. And I had, <laughs> I know, right. And I had this sense I was at this fork in the road where mm-hmm. I got to choose like this, this right path or this wrong path. That's, that's the image that I had in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and to this day, I regret that I, I did that very literally. You know, I, I said, right, I'm, I'm going to date, I'm going to make the choice <laughs> to, to date women. Yeah. And, um, it's it's funny, you know, because it's not the most disastrous coming out story. I mean, I've heard worse. I've heard of people being kicked out of the house and all that, and that didn't happen to me. Um, but it is amazing how in that moment you are so incredibly vulnerable and so sort of able to be influenced, you know. Yeah. Um, and now part of our work when we get young people talking is we get them to tell their coming out story to groups of parents. And you can almost see these groups of parents who are at first are thinking, well, I'm not LGBT, this has nothing to do with me. And then when the kids say, actually, this was what happened when I come out, you see these ears pricking up, like, wait a minute. <laughs> I should I should probably listen to this just in case. <laughs> mm, yeah, interesting. Okay, I want to get into that more but in a minute. But it's also interesting. It's like some of the horror stories of coming out when people react really badly. It's like, that is bad, but at least you know it's a bad reaction. And yeah. Sometimes when you get that middle of the road reaction, you don't even realize there's anything wrong with it. And mm. you actually internalize the repression. You but, know, I think that's, that's really well. Put. And so it can actually have a long term effect, even if it doesn't seem as bad in the moment. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what happened with me is it's that what I got, what I felt was a caring response. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I felt that I should listen to it, as as, as one does with one's parents. Uh, and I, you know, I wouldn't even say it wasn't a caring response, but it definitely wasn't a response that I needed to live as me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned your partner. Yeah. I'm curious, how did you meet her, and how mm-hmm. did your sexuality affect your partnership or your marriage, and like when? you know, what was coming out to her like? So we we were set up on a blind date in London and we, we turned up and we just sort of got on very well straight away. And that was eight years ago now. So we were just sort of talking and talking um, and it just sort of went very well. And I, you know, I can't remember, which sounds ridiculous, but exactly when I know, I know I would imagine we'd been together about a year. Um, that's That's roughly right. And I came home and I sort of said, you know, I've got something to say that I thought bisexuality was this, but it turns out that it's actually more like this. Uh (laughs) And that's probably a bit more like me. Hmm. And then, of course, that was sort of fine. I think the more difficult bit was then I was working for an LGBT organization and I was a bi man. So then I was writing about it and I was talking about it and I was and I think we did go through a bit of a moment where she was trying to work out, well, why has this not come up before? Um, you know, why has this sort of suddenly come up? Has something happened? You know, has it been precipitated by an event that you now, and that's why you're sharing it? And that wasn't the case. I mean, other than the event of 
someone at work just telling me a little bit more about it. So, but I mean, since then she's been she's been absolutely fantastic. I think there's something unique about being bi and that you have to come out coming out to your partner is a bi is a bi and a trans experience. You know, yeah, um, it's not something that if you're if you're gay or, or you're lesbian you'll go through. Right, as is coming out to your partner's parents. You know. <laughs> um, all these like little interesting things yeah. uh, that you kind of go through. And um, for me, it just became quite important to tell people because I'd, I'd spent so long not telling anyone. So I became yeah. like Mr. Bye Guy for a while, like <laughs> uh, just talking about it as often as I could. Same. I, I went through that period. I may still be in that period. <laughs> well, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, um, when you when you told your wife like you thought bisexuality was this thing, but actually it's this. Do you remember what you actually were thinking and what you said? Well, I remember what I must have said because this is what I had thought is that I had sort of thought that being being bi was a kind of you know. I, I I sort of thought that being a being married meant that I wasn't by anymore. That's what I had in my head. Being in this long term mm-hmm. relationship, mm-hmm. Um, having been with a with a woman for so long, I and I suppose I viewed by being biased behavioural rather than it being something that was part of me. Uh-huh. And I think that that's where I got it wrong. And and that's where you know when I had the conversation at work and they said, well, no, you know. It's, it's not straight, is it? And I was sort of thinking, well, no, well, maybe, maybe this box does fit me the best. I mean, mm. it's funny because, you know, I mean, it's just never been very simple with me. I've never felt a really clear cut. That's definitely me. Um, you know, I, I've, I've come to really love the the, the term bi, bi or bisexual because it just sort of fits me the best and it's not a lie and, <laughs> and it uh-huh. encompasses sort of all of me. But, Your but, sexuality yeah. is complex and not simple. What? I've never heard. I've never heard that before. That's crazy. <laughs> well, and I think it's no. it's interesting because so much of their narratives by LGBT organisations and LGBT people, to a degree, focus on this sense of being sure and being certain, and there being a moment. Yeah, you being miserable. There being a moment, and everything being fine. And that's not my story. And actually, the more and more people I meet, that story doesn't doesn't encompass all of our communities at all. You know, uh, sometimes it can be a bit more complex than that. Yeah, exactly. I do. I do think there's so many people in marriages who think, oh, if I come out, that means something's going to change in the relationship, oh, yeah. or the structure of it will change, or we, you know, we'll have to have an open relationship. Right. But ma- many people actually remain monogamous and still being out to their partner is important because it's your personal identity is important absolutely not because you need to be polyamorous necessarily no exactly and of course it's you know i think for some people polyamory is the answer i think for, for me being in a monogamous relationship was 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 fine and i didn't want that to change yeah i wanted to be heard and i didn't want i didn't want to lie about it if that makes sense yeah. I, I, it felt like an expression of honesty to me. It's so funny how to, to many people, straight people, that might not make sense. But like, of course it makes sense. Of course, like it is possible to love your wife and love your marriage and mm. want to be monogamous and also not want to lie to your yeah. wife <laughs> about, about this important thing every day. Like, of course that's possible. And yet many people will say, well, why? Why would you bring it up? And they don't get it. And so 
Thank, <laughs> thank you for sharing that and putting it that way. <laughs> and now a word from our podcast hosting service and sponsor for this episode, Zencaster. Now, I know how challenging remote podcasting can be. I basically figured it all out myself in the first year of the pandemic. And there are many, many things to think of when you're going from start to finish, from recording to syncing up with guests, to editing, to post-production, to downloading and uploading and everything in between. That's why after that first season during the pandemic, I switched to Zencaster. And I chose them because I thought they were the best quality recording service. They record audio locally and then sync it up with each other so that each person's side sounds clean. And now Zencaster also distributes podcasts. So not only do they do the recording part the best, but they can help you streamline everything from start to finish. Plus now, in addition to studio quality recording sound, Zencaster records video up to 4K and will distribute your video podcast in 1080p to all available video podcast players. You can also now add your own custom watermark to those videos, which we have started doing, maybe you've noticed. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy. And with everything from local recording to automatic post-productions right in the tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get the episode done. So I highly recommend Zencaster. And now if you go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code 2 guys one that's T-W-O, B-I-G-U-I-S, the number one, you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Let's, let's get into your work and your charity work and let's talk about LGBT youth. Um, so first of all, tell us a little about just like us, what is it, you know, why was it created and, and how did you get involved and what do you, what do you do there? So essentially over the last 30 years in the UK, the LGBT community, certainly in legislative terms, has taken some pretty huge steps forward. So, uh, you know, we've got um, equal marriage, we've got, um, you know, you're able to serve in the armed forces, which you weren't, you're able to adopt. Um, uh, same-sex couples are able to access fertility treatment um, and there were lots and lots of changes that happened very quickly which led to ILGA which is a membership organization for LGBT organizations saying well the UK is the best place in the world to be LGBT and that's quite a that's quite a high accolade and it's quite interesting I think um, mm-hmm. because the experience of lots of people I knew at school wasn't really living up to that um, and of course, it, it makes sense if you think about it, that it, it doesn't matter if you're at school and you're being bullied and you're being bullied to the extent um, that you can't face it anymore. You know, the fact that you might be able to get married one day <laughs> or that you might be able to adopt, it, it just sort of couldn't be less important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to get through the day. So Just Like Us were formed really to improve the experiences of LGBT plus young people um, and not by doing lessons to straight people saying, this is what a lesbian is, this is what a gay person is, um, but really bringing the stories to life of LGBT plus people throughout history, uh, throughout culture, throughout science, um, and giving schools a complete curriculum that matched their key stage, all their, key, sorry, key stages, all the years at school, to, to really to allow them to deliver LGBT inclusive content, whatever it is they, that they teach. Cool. And one of the programs we do is we have the ambassador program. So we train 18 to 25 year old volunteers to speak in schools, workplaces and the media about their experiences as LGBT plus people. Cool. 
That's awesome. Um, what kinds of trends are you seeing lately with LGBT youth? Like, how has it changed over the course of time that you've been at just just like us? Well, I think when I started in the sector, which was in 2015, there was a real sense of progress. Like things were just sort of marching onward, uh, and it felt like things would just consider continue to get better and better. I must say, despite that, there was still very little bi visibility at that time. Mm-hmm. Very little. Um, and I think that, and I know that you've seen some of this in the States as well, there's been a, there's been a bit of a disruption, <laughs> to say the least, uh, to that, to that progress. And now it's, it's starting to look like actually we're going the other direction and the experience, particularly of transgender young people, um, is, is getting incredibly difficult. Not that it wasn't always difficult, but I would say it's getting, it's getting worse because there's a feeling in the media, certainly, that this is a hot topic. Um, every prime ministerial candidate we've got an election going at the moment is being asked what is a woman (laughs) as they're sort of and this is despite you know all sorts of issues there being a war in europe uh this is the the number one issue apparently that our candidates must discuss um so so it's become incredibly difficult uh over the time i've been in the sector uh to be an, an lgbt plus young people person and i think one of the differences people don't realise is that there are schools doing brilliant work. There are schools we work with that are, that are incredible, uh, but there are still schools doing absolutely nothing. Uh, there are still schools that refuse to do anything, refuse to provide support. Um, we'll talk to the schools about, you know, all the old religious evils, etc. Um, and we believe certainly that we don't believe, you know, that schools need to know absolutely everything. But we think it's right that students know about the existence of LGBT plus people and they know that being LGBT plus is okay because if you don't know that what about the existence of LGBT plus people and you are LGBT plus then you grow up as so many of us did thinking you're the only person in the world that has ever gone through this that's an enormous burden to put on young people and so Mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to change that's awesome yeah so I mean really for kids it's like if you don't know this stuff exists, how can you even exactly. connect it to yourself or, or you just feel so alone. And that's what I, me too. Like I had all these thoughts and I just assumed no one else thinks this. And so yeah. I'm, I'm not going to think it either. And I just kind of pushed it away. Exactly. But like, so like you said though, with tr- like trans and non-binary kids and, you know, gender fluid, gender queer, gender non-conforming, um, they, this is sort of the most targeted group right now over there. And definitely over here, it's like a political, uh, lightning rod, unfortunately. Mm. How, how do you guys address gender and, and trans youth? And like, do you, you know, bisexual people are overrepresented among trans and non-binary Absolutely. people. There's a, there's a lot of crossover. Absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm always saying this when we talk about LGB people and trans people, like with two completely different, different groups of people, you know, Hey, it's not true. There are lesbian trans people. There are gay trans people. Um, but there does seem certainly in my circles to be an overwhelming number of bi trans people. Um, mm. and, and that, that plays out in our research as well. An awful lot of trans people. And I wonder if there's something about looking at your identity in depth, which we all have to do as LGBT plus people that makes you kind of consider yourself in a way that other people don't. And that's, and that's just a guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, bi people are trans people, trans people are bi people. Um, and we've always had that kind of sharedness in the community. And I think that when, 
the major LGBT organisations, certainly in the UK, were ignoring trans people. But of course, they were also ignoring bi people. Um, so we've also had that kind of shared feeling of being the kind of outsider queers as well. Uh-huh. Uh, do, are, do you see like a lot, a, a shift in the number of, I mean, you mentioned a statistic earlier, but like in the actual work you're doing, do you see more kids identifying as any of the LGBT letters? Is there a particular letter or letters that is increasing more at the moment? So all of the LGBT letters are increasing in in proportion to kids that identify as straight. Um, But but by kids particularly, I'm I'm happy to say that there are more kids that feel comfortable with IDing as by certainly in our research than there have ever been before. which, which is phenomenal because I think that in schools, if, 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 if what it means is that kids are hearing the word bisexual, they're kind of understanding the term and they're relating the term to their own lives in a way that I think took me rather a long time to do. Mm-hmm. And of course, kids today are, are getting having this wonderful thing where they're able to say who they are. Uh, and they they won't take no for an answer, you know. Yeah. And I, I, it's just the most wonderful thing to see kids of that age so confident and so able, so articulate in speaking their truth. It's wonderful. It is amazing. Like I I want to see what these kids who the kids who are lucky enough to grow up somewhere where it's accepted and and visible. What's that going to be like when they become wow. adults? Because because <laughs> like you and I we're doing cool stuff, but. <laughs> We were both pretty, uh, me more than you, but we were both not at the level some of these kids are at today with the comfort at at such a young age. So it makes me hopeful. It really makes me hopeful too. And what I hope is that I think that certainly in the LGBT community, there are certain people of, you know, my generation um, who kind of are trying to like pull the ladder up a bit, you know, and who are sort of saying, well, you know, I'm gay, but all this stuff with gender is ridiculous or whatever. Um, And I think that that is really something that all of us need to watch because um, we were at the other end of that, you know, and we should remember that. We shouldn't allow ourselves to have such short memories. And what I hope and what I hope for the kids that are growing up today is that they get a sense of that as well. They remember that when they get older, there will be things, you know, which you and I haven't heard of that they haven't heard of yet. Right. There will be there will be new things that, that neither of us know. And, and I hope that they embrace them um, and they remember the discrimination that they faced, uh, as, as I as I hope for all of our community, actually. Right. Me too. Um, something I'm noticing, I'm curious if you have, too, is like with young people, especially and even some people in their 30s around my age is like they don't necessarily want to identify as bi maybe it's our branding issue maybe it's like stigma but they will say stuff like well but i'm not straight either and i have no label or i am whatever i want to be today so it's this like a fluid identity but they don't want to assign a specific label to it Mm. are you seeing more of that or and like if you are how do you target a group like that for these kind of resources so I, funnily enough, yes, particularly in that kind of 30 plus category you talked about, uh, I think that's quite common. And the kind of who cares, I'm just me thing (laughs) seems to be like a phase people go through later on in life where they they start to think that maybe labels don't matter at all. And maybe we can all just 
you know, it's a sort of slightly utopian vision, isn't it? Um, right. And, I, and I, I want that someday, but I'm course, not. I mean, but I'm not would, sure I'm there yet. It would be wonderful, but I, I think I don't think any of us are there. I don't think society's there, yeah. and certainly the support structures aren't in place for young people that want to grow up because they can't be whatever they want. You know, they they will soon realize that people who reflect their identity aren't represented in books and aren't represented on the television, uh, and people will tell them that who they are is wrong. So they will then have to go through this process of reclaiming this identity again. Um, and I think in that environment, saying, well, I'm just me, is, is, is fine if that's your story, but it's also a reflection of the kind of slightly more privileged position you found yourself in. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not a position that is available to everyone. Yeah, well said. That's a yeah interesting perspective on that. I agree. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, when I was first recognizing my bisexuality and coming to terms with it, I thought it was something I would take to the grave and never tell anyone. I was very stuck focusing on problems instead of solutions. I was very wrapped up in fear of what would happen if I came out. And I was not really thinking of all the joy and positive changes that would come from coming out. One of the things that really changed things for me was therapy and finding a therapist. It's helped me to stop focusing on those fears and it's helped me to be more authentic, get in touch with my feelings, speak my truth, and relate and communicate better with other people. There's this perception that if you see a therapist, it means something's quote, wrong, I totally disagree. I think everyone can benefit from talk therapy. So if you are thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. Full disclosure, I have not tried BetterHelp myself. I already have a therapist for many years who I love, but BetterHelp is great for many people. It's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online. When you go to betterhelp.com, you get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash two by guys today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash two by guys. Let's talk a little about like in the B in the charity space in general. So like something we hear a lot is that bisexual people receive like something like less than 2% of the resources that go to LGBT plus groups, Mm. very little funding, very little things specifically targeted for the B in LGBT. So uh, like we hear that a lot, but I'm curious how do you actually see that playing out? Is that is that actually a big deal or are the other resources helping by people? Uh, let's start there. I mean, this oh, is a big, big you know, topic. That's a really big question. It's a difficult one. <laughs> are, the, are the resources helping by people? Well, sometimes, I guess, is the answer. I think generally an acceptance of more queer people is helping by people. It's good that bi people are able to get married in same-sex relationships. So... It's a little of each. The progress has helped. I think the trouble is that in a kind of slightly trickle-down way, it was expected at some point, it seems like that's all bi people needed, is to have that those kind of crumbs from the table. And that that isn't, that isn't and has never been true. And there are a great many bi-specific 
issues. And sometimes it can be categorized as, well, you know, where are our bars? And I'm thinking, well, certainly in the UK, um, you know, our border control has, has turned back by people to countries where they can be killed uh, on the basis that they can just be with, well, can't just be with, be with the other gender. Um, and of course, you know, huge disparities in sexual health, huge disparities in mental health, uh, certainly substance abuse, drug drug misuse. And I'm not, of course, suggesting this is all by people, but certainly it seems to be more prevalent with by people, everything that I've just said. So there are huge issues that need to be tackled um, that aren't being tackled a lot of the time, I would say, by mainstream LGBT organizations i'm lucky being by myself that obviously this is important to me uh, and i'm able to 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 keep an eye but then i think something that is really important is who is in that organization yeah so for me i think about a quarter of our staff are by which means that you know if you need to call someone for a case study you can probably work that out it means that your first thought isn't necessarily going to be a gay man or a lesbian and it means that you kind of probably understand these issues in a little more depth. So when someone's talking about something that's not sexual orientation, like mental health, you're going to be thinking, well, of course, that's very prevalent with the bi community in a way that perhaps you're not, uh, if you're not part of the bi community. So um, we do a number of things that are specifically aimed at bi people, and we make sure that our LGBT resources are inclusive of bi people and that we're talking about bisexuality is a spectrum and all that sort of thing yeah. all the time it's some of the stuff that's got the best response is that we we do these media pieces because although you hear about lgbt in the media a lot of it's negative or a lot of it's focused on adults so we get the voices of young lgbt people to speak in the press about something they really love so you'll have like a bi person that's like 18 saying i really love brooklyn 99 this is why it meant a lot to me and that's the kind of stuff that we want young people to find when they're searching, you know, about being bi, about their identity. We want them to find like bi people talking about cool shows they like, stuff that they can get into. Um, and and that's that's what we're trying to create in the moment. Yeah. Focus on the positive and like the joyful aspects of it for kids. Is oh, goodness. A good thing. I mean, at the moment, so particularly in the UK, I don't know if this is true in the US, but LGBT charities talk about suicide a lot. Um, mm. They talk about self-harm a lot. And there are reasons for doing that, which I understand. Um, but we just have to be very careful about what we're telling kids about themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we, for me, no one should be walking into a school saying LGBT people are four times as likely to attempt suicide. It's a really dangerous thing to do. And actually we're mm. duty bound to tell some of those great stories from our community so people know that actually being LGBT can be really great. That's really interesting. Um, I never really thought about that, how tricky that can be in that space. So like, I'm curious if you could expand a little, like we know that mental health outcomes are worse for bisexual people than straight, gay, lesbian. We know that physical health outcomes are often worse as well. Like how do you as a charity address that without always talking about the negative and the downsides you know how do you how do you balance that well firstly i think it's important who you're talking to because i think we like all charities can be a bit guilty of you get your speech the thing that you say and then you go out and you sort of say it everyone mm -hmm. whereas actually who you're talking to is very important so for me if you're talking to young people you should be telling them where to get support with their mental health absolutely 
um, signposting them to resources, but we don't need to do a kind of um, a pitch for money, for example, which might focus on the negative or a pitch for support, which you might do to teachers. You might say, look, this is why it's important that you're supporting bisexual young people specifically, because actually mm. the mental health rates are worse, for example. Um, and that's an appropriate message when you're trying to drum up support, whether that's financial support or whether it's making sure that an institution is doing its job. Personally, I don't think it's an appropriate message for young people. I think the message for young people should be that you can live a wonderful life, that there is a community there waiting for you. And if you need help, that help is available. And here it is. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, you kind of answered this, but let me let me throw it at you again. Like, you know, how does your bisexuality affect the work you do um, at Just Like Us or other work you've done? It It sounds like there's like an intangible thing that makes a lot of sense to me of just like, we will, I will be, you'll be looking at the issue a little differently and you may think of something that a gay or lesbian person might not even realize you know to phrase something a certain way is it mostly that kind of x factor or are there other things too i i think it is that because i think that um i think that um you know diversity and this is true of other diversity strands as well when you're doing something on behalf of someone it's never going to be quite as good as if you've got the right people in the room and i think that's the case for all all diversity work and by diversity work is a is a part of that Uh, But I think there's also, um, when you're in a space that's had a lack of bi people and certainly leadership of LGBT charities um, in the UK and from what I understand pretty similarly in the UK, in in the US, Mm -hmm. um, you know, bi communities have been extremely critical, rightly so, of LGBT charities who have ignored them, uh, made jokes sometimes, um, used the words gay and lesbian as a synonym for LGBT um, you know, mm-hmm. used, used homophobic without mentioning biphobic, um, the, the sort of whole nine yards. Um, and that's happened for a really long time. And because of that, I think bi people in the UK can be quite critical, quite cynical of LGBT plus charities. And, and I don't think that they're wrong, I should say. Um, but it's nice to be a bi man that's out as a bi man running an LGBT charity, because I hope that that does something to soften that as well. I hope that I can be, I can show that we're doing good work um, Mm -hmm. and they know that I'm coming from a really authentic place. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. It seems like when, when bi people are invisible at the top of organizations like yours, then we're, then we're just bound to be erased in a trickle down way. But when you've got somebody you know, with this stuff in mind, then you just kind of that that trickles down as well, and it's we're part of the conversation. Absolutely. I mean, it's not uncommon, certainly about not so much nowadays because uh, the community has done a great job of calling calling them out on it. But it used to not be that uncommon in the UK to have a list of say a hundred LGBT athletes or a hundred great LGBT leaders, uh, and there wouldn't be a single bi person on the list. That happened a number of times Mm -hmm. Um, because LGBT, you know, you can keep having letters, but unless you're actually planning to do some of the work that underpins that and understand the needs of those groups, then really you're still just saying lesbian and gay. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Here's a random question. Let's say, let's say you were hired by, you know, the UK government to sort of 
correct the buy erasure in the charity <laughs> space and they gave you all the resources you asked for, you know, what what would you target? What do you think to help the bi and trans communities really sort of the most targeted? Like what where would you focus on? What do you think the are the biggest things that we're lacking at the moment? So you know what? Um, firstly, I would fund by groups, by specific groups. So despite working for an LGBT charity, I would say that we have to do our bit and we have to be inclusive. But the situation in the UK is that by work isn't funded at all. So you've got big LGBT groups that are, that are you know, going through a journey of by inclusion. But I don't think that that would ever be enough, actually. I think however good we are, there are specific needs of the bi community that LGBT charities aren't set up to address. So I think that the correct funding, and there are some absolutely brilliant ones we have here in the UK. We have uh, Biscuit, which is a resource for bi women. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have the Bisexual Index uh, run by Marcus Morgan, which is fantastic. And I think that these are the sorts of groups that we need to make sure that we're funding by Pride in the UK uh, to make sure that bi people are having their needs addressed specifically as well as generally. Yeah. I love that because I'm part of a couple of bi organizations and we have very little money and we right. could use, we could do a lot. Like we have the sort of infrastructure built already to do stuff for the bi community. We just, there's only so much we can do with basically no budget. I think, and bi organizations have been doing a lot on very little for a long time. It's yeah. really incredibly resourceful. Yeah. And that's good and it's bad. You know, it's good because it means that at such a time when bi organizations are being funded and certainly the LGBT consortium in the UK has undertaken a review and is looking specifically at how you can get money to buy organizations, which is, is yeah. great. And what really struck me when I looked at the findings of that review is how little they wanted. Like, you know, we're not talking about millions and millions of pounds here. Um, it was just so, so very reasonable. So I think for me, that's the most urgent thing, actually, because those same bio organizations have really good connections with the community uh, and are really well placed to do the work. They just need the money. Yep. Agree. OK, give us money. <laughs> So I found an article where you were interviewed and you were talking about uh, coming out in the workplace, mm. which I think is a is a big topic for bi people. We talked about it last season. It's like, it's one of those, you know, even if you're out to your friends or family, it's another big decision to come out at work or not. If you're bi, you don't necessarily need to, but then, you know, I'm so I'm curious, like, <laughs> Why do you think it's especially hard for bi people to come out in the workplace? What was it like for you? You know, do you have any advice for people who might be out in other spheres but are not out at work? So it's difficult me speaking on this because I've worked for LGBT organizations for a while. And there's certainly the perception that it would be easier to be out at an LGBT organization. Um I don't know if this is part of the question. That hasn't always been true. And I've absolutely experienced biphobia working for LGBT organizations at LGBT conferences. But I think that, I, th I think that it, because of that, it's, it's slightly difficult to talk about being out at work in non LGBT environments because I never was. Mm -hmm. And I do, I regret that a bit. I feel like I, but I think this is the problem as a bi person, you know, you're not sure if you're safe to be out. And then if you're yeah. not out, you feel desperately guilty that, <laughs> that you took that decision. Yeah. 
I worked for a mental health organization after I worked for Stonewall and I decided that I was going to be sort of fully out to everyone there. And it was, you know, it was sort of fine. I think, I think there was, if anything, there was a bit of a sort of, uh, there was a bit of a feeling like, oh, is, is that it? Are they, you know, are people not more interested or bothered? And, and I was lucky that they weren't. But um, I don't know that the NGO sector is is, is typically representative of, of most places in the UK, but that was my experience. Cool. Okay. And then finally, I wanted to ask you about another piece you wrote that I thought was great. Um, you wrote a piece in Pink News about how becoming a bisexual dad <laughs> means that you feel you need to speak out even louder for the sake yeah. of your chil- of our children. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little, like, what has the experience of becoming a bisexual dad been like and how has it affected your mm. sense of identity or your, your bi-identity or otherwise? You know, when I wrote that article, I was, um, I think my child was about two weeks old and I was, uh, so I was sleep deprived and I was, um, incredibly anxious about almost everything. Um, and yet, you know, my identity kept kind of playing on my mind. And I think that I was worried that people would think that it was weird. I was worried that she would, my daughter would feel, you know, some way about it when she got older, that there was that all this sort of stuff started flashing up. And I think is, as is so often the case, I kind of <laughs> came to the conclusion that a lot of it was projection. A lot of it was things that I'd felt about myself at various parts of my life. I didn't want to face that suddenly sprang up when I had a daughter, so like sprang up and hit me in the face, you know, big, big time. Mm-hmm. And I think that I really wanted to just talk about it. Do you know, out of everything I've written, that is the article that most people have talked to me about. Uh, because I think being a, like being out at work, you know, coming out as a father, there's something that feels a bit unsafe about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that by people knew that that you know we we can have we can have whatever we want and and in my case it was it was a child and we, and we we can be parents and actually a lot of us are parents you know yeah but certainly when i was looking there weren't many bi male role models that you know when i was looking around and no one was talking about the fact they had kids and I thought, actually, that's a, that's an important thing for people to realise. We've always, right. of course, got one one eye on young people. And I think when I told someone, and I remember their response to me was that I asked them if they were going to come out to their parents, and they said, no, grandchildren have always been really important to my parents. And, and I couldn't tell them I'm bi on that basis. And I remember thinking, well, that's unusual because, <laughs> you know, whoever you end up with now in the UK, you, you can have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought... I didn't think she was wrong. I think she was still right because there's some sort of setting that kicks off in parents to say, my child is LGBT. Does that mean, you know, they're they're going to lead a certain life and and I'm not going to have children. So I think for all LGBT people that yes, we can have children. It is really, really important. Um, And I think particularly in the bisexual space, just because I hadn't seen it before. That was the first, like, that was the first line of questioning from my parents when I came out to them was all about, do I still want kids right. or not? So even though to me, I was like, why are you asking that? That's not what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> it is for, for a certain generation or maybe for straight couples, like that's very tied together. Yeah. I, I just really love that. The part of the article where you talked about how like the fatherhood 
identity at least two weeks in was really consuming all yeah. your other aspects of your identity and your bi identity almost like faded at that yeah. time because you were so focused on, on this kid. And, you know, I'm, cu- I'm curious, like how that's evolved yeah. over time. I think there were two reasons for that. One was that I wasn't working. So, uh, because I was on uh, parental leave, I wasn't engaging with LGBT stuff every day, the way that I would if I was at work. <laughs> um, and the second one is that those early weeks as a parent were, um, for me, the most terrifying time of my life, there were, um, you know, to, to have a baby that was my responsibility essentially to keep alive uh, in those early stages was was incredibly scary. And that sort of fear, that sort of I have to make this work <laughs> took up, took over absolutely everything. Um, I'm pleased to report <laughs> that that feeling probably lasted about eight weeks. And then you find the, the rest of your kind of personality starts to come back. Come Maybe back. not completely, but in, in dribs and drabs over the next year. <laughs> cool. Uh, cool. And and since then it's been it's become it's been really important to me to sort of recognize that all sorts of people can be parents. Uh, and to make sure that when we're talking to parents, we're talking about their fact the fact their kids could be LGBT and how would they respond if that happened? Because I think if you can just set that thought in motion, I think a lot of parents, a lot of people that I speak to, when they told their parents, their parents ended up being fine, but they weren't fine right away. (laughs) And there's this kind of cliche with LGBT uh, people where you say, well, you know, you've had X long time to get used to it. They've just had to get used to it in an instant. Right. And you know, you think, well, fair enough, but maybe they maybe they could do a little more thinking <laughs> in advance about yeah. what if their kids are LGBT and how would they respond. And actually, I think probably the world would be a much better place if they did. So we try and start that journey a bit early. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Hopefully, more people are imagining that possibility because the the odds of it happening to to are going are up all in- the time. increasing. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just I also thought it was kind of sweet in the piece that you were nervous about the future conversation with yeah. your, with your child and coming out to them. And I just thought to myself, like, I understand that anxiety and where it comes from, but if he's willing to, if he can articulate all this now in this article, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'll be fine when that conversation comes up, but you know, by that time, you know, I, I had some people message me and say very similar things. I had some other bi dads message me, which was really great and sort of just say, look, you know, you forget, don't you? The problem isn't children. <laughs> the, the problem is the wider world. Ch- children are enormously right. accepting. Of course, no yeah. one should know that better than me <laughs> in my work. Yeah. Um, right. Children are always accepting of difference, actually, is my experience. The only time is when they've been taught not to be. Right. So, and hopefully that won't happen because obviously we're parents. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if, if you can sort of set containers and safe spaces and normalize queerness from a young age, both as a parent and, you know, in schools and in through the charity work, like the rest may hopefully fall together naturally and there will just be less shame and repression and stigma and bullying to begin with if mm. if you if you establish these norms I, early. I think so. I think, you know, the thing of doing the gay lesson, as I said earlier, the thing of saying, right, well, this is who we are, even pride, you know, really these are, tr- for me, transitional stages going towards a future where 
People don't feel like they have to jump from one thing to the other. People can feel that they can come out of their pace to who they want to. They can be who they want to in all, in all walks of their life, but not like they're keeping a secret. Um, like that's who they are. Yeah. And I think for bi people, that jacket sometimes fits a little better than this, right? You wear this, now you're this. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dominic. This has been a fascinating uh, conversation. Um, you can follow Dominic at on Twitter at Dominic Arnall, and you can support Just Like Us at www.justlikeus.org. So thanks so much for being here on Two Bye Guys. It was great to have you. Oh, thank you. It's, I follow the podcast, so it's been a real pleasure to be on. Two Bye Guys is produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. Our music is by Ross Mincer. We are supported by the Gotham, and we are part of the Zencaster Creator Network. Use promo code Two Bye Guys to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. <laughs>